Welcome to another episode of Liberty Dispatch Interviews. Thanks so much for joining us today on Liberty Dispatch Interviews. We have a, a favorite guest of ours. We've had him on a few times. Always great discussions, both on screen and uh, backstage as well. Once we turn off the recording, that's when the best discussions come out that no one will ever hear about because we don't want to incriminate ourselves. <laughs> but that guest joining us today is none other than Mr. Bruce Party. Bruce is the executive director of Rights Probe, that's rightsprobe.org, and a professor of law at Queen's University here in my own Kingston, Ontario. A critic of legal progressivism and the illiberal managerial state, he warned of dire consequences as soon as COVID lockdowns were imposed in the spring of 2020. And much like us, Bruce's tinfoil hat has now been upgraded to a jewel-encrusted tinfoil crown, and he wears it proudly. And on top of that, he has a wonderful silver as well in his hair. So it's a good fit. <laughs> He's one of the authors of the Free North Declaration, a call to arms to protect civil liberties from COVID irrationality and overreach. He has taught at law schools in Canada, the United States, and New Zealand. He has practiced civil litigation, served as an adjudicator and mediator on the Ontario Environmental Review Tribunal, and is senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. Bruce, once again, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch. Thank you, Andrew and Matt. Thank you very much for having me. It's always good to be with you. Yeah, you've done one or two things in your life, eh, Bruce? <laughs> well, I'm, getting to, I'm getting to the age where I better have done something, I suppose. <laughs> well, thanks again. It's always always wonderful to have you on. Um, and we wanted to have you on today, uh, Bruce, to get kind of your thoughts on this new case that we've uh, taken on at the Liberty Coalition Canada here in regards to the ongoing saga uh, concerning Josh Alexander. So we really do appreciate you coming on and giving us some of your thoughts. So yeah. let's um, let's get everyone up to date for the people who are listening or watching who are aren't fully up to date with this. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Essentially, back in November at the school in Renfrew where Josh Alexander attends, a couple friends of his who were girls approached him because there were boys in the girls' bathroom. The school is trans-affirming and has a trans-affirming bathroom policy. So Josh brought it to the principal and the principal said, I'm not gonna help you with your personal cr crusade. It was the actual phrase that he used. And we'll only do something if a girl brings the complaint. So Josh convinced one of the girls to bring the complaint to the principal. And the principal did nothing. Mm, surprise. So in, in light of the principal doing nothing, even with the complaints, Josh staged a walkout in December and two days before the walkout was scheduled to happen. So technically he hadn't done anything yet. He was suspended for 20 days pending an investigation. So the suspension came to an end after Christmas coming into the new year January 9th, I believe, the first day back to school. So the suspension was over, and this is when he reached out to LCC to appeal the suspension. So he was told by the administrators that you can come back to school on the 9th. However, you can't attend your afternoon classes because this is where the trans students are, and they feel threatened, and they feel unsafe around you, which is total nonsense. And so our issue was he's being discriminated against because of his relig religious beliefs, and he's being excluded from a classroom. This is this was our position at Liberty Coalition Canada. So he attends school and he goes to these two classes. 
The VP basically stares him down the whole day while he's in the classes where he shouldn't be. And of course, there was no violence and everyone was safe. Later that day, Josh and James Kitchen, his lawyer, our chief litigator, receives notification from the school saying that he'd been suspended for the entirety of the week, that they had retained a rather expensive law firm based out of Ottawa, and that he had a no trespass order against him until the end of the month. So as of time of recording, Josh's suspension has been lifted, but he's not allowed to step foot on school property because of the trespassing order. And so where we are right now is we've appealed the initial suspension. We've appealed him being excluded from the classes because of his religious beliefs. And we're also trying to appeal this no trespassing order against him. All because the school essentially had trans affirming bathrooms and did nothing about the girls who were legitimately worried about their own safety and well-being in the bathroom because Josh actually decided to do something about it. So now we're fu- everyone's fully up to date. This is where we are as of today, as of time of recording. And so with all of that in mind, what we wanted to do first was say, Bruce, give us your thoughts. That's general, that's vague, that's open. But go at it from any angle you want, as many different angles as you want. We want to hear from you. We, we trust you. We value your insight and your expertise. So tell us what you think about all that. Right. Okay. Thank you for that background. And this looks like a dispute over bathrooms and about transgenderism. And it, it is all those things as well, but it's about, in my view, something more fundamental than that, which is it's about Josh's speech. He, he's, all he's done is basically express an opinion about whether or not it's appropriate to have boys who claim to be girls in the bathroom and to suggest that the rest of the students, or at least a portion of them, express their views about the same thing. And on that basis, it sounds like he was first suspended and then issued this trespass notice. So let, let's not, I mean, the, 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 the trans issue is, a, is, a, is an important piece of this, and, and we can talk about that as well, but let's not lose sight of the main point, which is that this is a punishment for expressing his ideas in his speech. And, you know, that, that's a pretty extraordinary thing. I mean, there's been, there's been no violence. There's been no misbehavior other than, in the, in the, in the terms of the, of, of the school itself, other than the views he's expressed. And so, essentially, the, the authorities here have decided that what he's decided to say is so egregious that he's not allowed to be in the school. And, and that's, that's an extraordinary thing. This is the place where we've come to in this modern age where speech can be violence. And um, it, I think in part it is, if I can put it this way, almost in this progressive era, almost an inevitable result when schools are run and controlled by the state because the state sets the curriculum the state hires the people the state sets the agenda the state controls the 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 going in and the going out um and so in a way i mean as, as outrageous as this is on the other hand you'd almost like to think well you know what did we expect what did we expect in an era where everything has become progressive and woke 
where the institution is under the control of state authorities, you know, and that and that that needs to change. That needs to be addressed. But while that is the case, this really is not all that surprising. It's the next logical step in all of the trends that we've seen. Yeah, I, I knew we picked the right guy. To have I, was, I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, are you just are you talk, advocating just like classical Christian homeschooling? I'm just like, or? I'm, just, I'm thinking, Matt, like, where's the organ? Where's the, where's I the know. firework? Just like, Bruce, yeah, we got to get ourselves after, a road yes, like, piano, like, bang on, like, yeah. just to cut through to cut through all the all all the frill and all the trim. Because there's all this other stuff that people will say you're, you know, like Josh has been called a, a Christian nationalist and a white supremacist. And at, we just got to cut through all that and understand that an, an overreaching state and a godless progressive ideology married together are now telling people what you can and cannot say and punishing for your speech and for your beliefs. And here we are. This is, yeah. and you're right. We shouldn't, it's shocking. But we shouldn't be surprised, but it's shocking nonetheless. I want to camp out on this idea, Bruce, because I know you have you've written a lot about this. You've said a lot about this, but maybe I think in Canada, we tend to think that we have very similar rights to our neighbors down south as it pertains to free speech. And we, we kind of think of a lot of the principles that we uh, talk about, even in our society, we talk about as though um our regime in Canada is the same as the as what's going on in the states as far as what we're able to talk about what we're not able to talk about but that isn't so much the case and this is obviously what launched Jordan Peterson's career into the spotlight is in Canada we even have compelled speech uh in some situations as it pertains to pronouns stuff like that so maybe can you kind of help us think properly about where we're at in our current historical context in Canada as it pertains to freedom of speech. What's actually protected by law and what's not? Right. Okay, good question. So like the Americans, we have a constitutional guarantee of freedom of expression in our in our charter. There is this in the Bill of Rights. Uh, but the experience with it I think is fair to say so far has been that ours is not as robust as theirs is. Now, th- theirs is not an absolute either. I mean, there's no such thing as an absolute in those terms. But but uh, I think ours has been more willingly and readily curbed uh, in many respects. You alluded to the idea that we have compelled speech in Canada. We, we have laws on the books in this country uh, that prohibit you from discriminating in your public speech. That means you can't stand up on a podium in the park and, and, and express a preference for one kind of person or the other. Uh, one of my favorite examples is a case out of BC. And, and BC is one of those jurisdictions that has this provision in their, in their human rights code that says you may not discriminate in your speech in your, in, that is public. And the case arose as a result of a, a an election campaign in which there was a candidate who was born a male and, and claimed to be female, and another person who was essentially campaigning against him, uh, saying that, well, you shouldn't vote for this person because 
you know, he's transgender or, or because he's claiming to be a woman and he's not. And, and there was nothing at stake other than no, no, no conduct in question other than speech. And uh, the candidate narrowly lost the election and brought a human rights complaint to the BC uh, tribunal. And the tribunal said, well, yeah, this is, this is a violation of your human right. Um, You are not allowed, they said, you are not, you would not be allowed to express the view that you should not be, that you should not vote for a candidate because they're, they're transgender. You would be allowed to speak in the opposite direction, they said. You would be allowed to say you should vote for someone because they're, they're transgender, but you are not allowed to say they should not vote for someone because they're transgender. In other words, this is not the idea that no discrimination is allowed in your speech. The idea is that you are allowed to discriminate as long as you do it properly and for the right causes. Otherwise, the uh, the law is to be applied in a, in in in, a, in an uneven way. And so, when we've had these um, these amendments to our human rights codes across the country, which have added things like a gender identity to the list of things that you cannot discriminate against. Um, the way those are being now interpreted is a way that we warned against when these things were being brought in, especially the the federal one. But it's not just at the federal level. This is in provincial codes as well. So they're being interpreted now, at least it appears to be in the context of this of the school situation, that the, the, the inclusion of gender identity in the human rights codes means that you're not allowed to exercise your free speech and say what you think. You are obligated to, you know, use the proper pronouns or use the proper name or or to acknowledge the identity of the person that chooses that they've, you know, they they don't want to be one thing and they want to be the other thing. And that's, that's contrary to the idea of free speech. You know, freedom is supposed to be universal and reciprocal. And that means that if... If you want to pretend to be anything that you want, you're allowed to do it. You're, you're allowed to, to call yourself whatever you want. You're allowed to dress any way you want. You, you are free. You're a free person. If you were born a male and want to call yourself a female, you're at liberty to do that. That's what being in a free country means. But everybody else is free too. And if they don't want to call you what you want them to call them, they have the freedom to do that as well. And we have lost that idea. Freedom now only travels apparently in one direction. Well, Bill C-4 is a glaring example of that where you can say we support only one kind of conversion, Mm -hmm. right? So you can't say to someone, instead of embracing this kind of lifestyle, you need to embrace this kind of lifestyle, that's 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 no bueno, right? Instead of saying to someone, you need to live and accept the body in which you were born, and for example, embrace what our federal government calls myth and stereotype that God has made men to be men. That's mm-hmm. bad. But if you take someone who is a man who believes he's a man and say it's okay for you to explore the possibility that you're a woman. That's accepted. And I would imagine in this BC case, if one of the candidates who was a professing Christian who had the audacity to say something like, 
I think that our country would be better if more and more of our laws were based on Christian principles, which isn't such a crazy thought because that just happens to be our country. If, if someone said that and the other candidate were to say, you can't vote for that guy, he's a Christian nationalist, I highly doubt the Human Rights Tribunal would have sided on the side of the Christian in that instance. And so it only goes one way. You're right. It's it's not it's not universal and it's not reciprocal. And the, I guess the, the question that I have, and obviously there's a larger historical philosophical debate here, but if we could think about even just the last five, 10 years, how is it that this is, has happened? So what, what, what are the sort of things that have allowed us to accept, for example, Ibram X. Kendi's view that discrimination is okay if you're discriminating against the oppressors or the discriminators, right? That's a... That's a, a minority view, I would say, in terms of what, what the average person believes. And yet here it is enshrined in law. How is it that we've, we've come to this point now where freedom is no longer reciprocal and universal? And again, just zooming in on even just the last 5, 10, 20 years, what, what shifts have happened that we've come to this place? Well, we can go a bit further than back to the beginning of the Charter. And, and basically, since the Charter was, was enacted, the Supreme Court of Canada has basically said that the that the guarantee of of equality in the charter uh, does 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 not mean uh, equality of treatment it means equality of outcome in other words they have they have rejected formal equality and adopted substantive equality um, that mean that what they mean basically is that that if your equal rule that applies equally to everybody, it, it, it treats everyone the same. If that equal rule produces unequal outcomes for one group over the other group, then it violates the charter guarantee in the, uh, that's, that's set out in section 15. And, and that's another respect in which our equality guarantee, I think it's fair to say, differs from the much more robust so far uh, guarantee in the, the US situation. They, they still have an idea that the laws must apply equally to everyone. Everybody must be treated the same way by the law, regardless of who you are. They, they still have a robust idea of blind justice. Whereas you could argue that that, that idea is, is very much um, eroded in this country. People do believe that we have this idea, partly because the Americans have it and it's part of our own legal heritage. We've had that idea in our common law for forever, essentially, but but people don't understand that it, is, it has been, it has been uh, knocked asunder and they can no longer assume either under the charter or under the, under the provincial uh, human rights codes that that is in fact the case. The human rights codes have, have provisions that allow an exception to that idea. So when it says, you know, you have a right not to be discriminated against on the basis of, you know, this, that, and the next thing, people think, well, there it is. Everybody is entitled not to be discriminated against. Well, actually, that's not true because there are provisions later in the statute that says, oh, well, by the way, if you are undertaking what they call in the Ontario situation a special program so as to alleviate historical disadvantage, then you can, in fact, discriminate against, uh, you know, appropriate groups. And we know who those are. 
<laughs> yeah, no, and I think that's an important point that might sound very technical, but that every Canadian citizen must understand that substantive equality and formal equality cannot coexist. They can't live uh, in the same ecosystem because they're totally uh, mutually exclusive. And I'm will- reading through William Gardiner's The Trouble with Canada still, and he talks mm-hmm. about, um, he kind of uses the French legal system versus the English legal system kind of idea and how um, in the charter it was a switch of almost um basic presuppositions from this past English kind of system and more towards a a French civil law situation and how Canada lives in this tension between these two things that can't really coexist. And the problem is we as Canadians think that we are living in the heritage of that British system that won so resoundly over the French system that was virtually discredited, especially with the the French Revolution, right? You got to see these two revolutions, these two societies juxtaposed in history side by side, and it was clear which one actually led to flourishing and and real liberty and and real equality in society in which one ended in a despotic hellhole but the fact of the matter this kind of sleight of hand has happened in canadian society and i think as you made mention bruce canadians haven't woken up to that fact we're blind to that fact and we can't seemingly we we kind of think that a lot of what our law says is like you said is rooted in our understanding that we're in this old tradition that we're no longer in. We've we've undergone a revolution that's been um, quiet and it's gone virtually unopposed, but it has totally transformed Canadian society. Yes, and just yes, so we're clear absolutely. too, we want it, we just got to use the word so everyone understands. When you say yep. substantive equality, they would say is that's what they call equity. Yes, right, that's the word. Well, that's yes. the word that right. they're using. So just, just so our because our audience might think, yeah. wait a minute, just when you hear equity, that's what you hear. Mm-hmm. That, that's what they're right. talking about. Yeah. So let's let's just go. Let's just go through a list of synonyms because yeah. people will hear these terms, right? So so equity, substantive equality, equality of outcome are are mm-hmm. three of the terms you'll hear that basically mean the same thing. And on the other side, you'll have formal equality, uh, equal treatment, and equal application are sometimes used to 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 be synonyms there's a there's a term in the middle called equal opportunity equality of opportunity mm. which can which can mean one thing or the other depending upon what you mean oh yeah and so you have to, you have to watch out for that one because it can be twisted either way mm-hmm. no i i think that's very helpful because you know and that's why we like to have you on bruce because you can kind of make those really razor thin distinctions that help clarify the categories in our mind so we can think through this stuff better because you you know i think a lot of well-meaning canadians they just don't know this revolution has taken place in the way that has taken place so they take for granted that they have rights that they absolutely don't have and that's that's the scary part and i think that's part of the reason that so many canadians to this point have not woken up and revolted because Mm-hmm. It's been a quiet revolution that a lot of people just don't really, really grasp and really understand. 
Right. I, exactly. Exactly. So I, let me just go back to your comment about the, the two kinds of equality being incompatible. So that, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have, you can't have both. So let's just, let's just explain why that is. Yeah. So the premise of equal treatment or formal equality is that the, that the, that the same rules and standards are going to apply to everybody without regard to who you are. And the reality is that everybody is different. Everybody is different in an infinite kind of way, in an infinite number of ways. And so if you apply the same rules and standards to everybody, then they're all going to end up in different places because that's in accordance with, with their infinite differences. But if you start with the expectation or the demand that everybody end up in the same place, then you must necessarily apply different rules to them in order to achieve that result. Mm-hmm. And so it's not possible to have both. You either have to decide that people have a right to the same rules and standards as everybody else and allow them to end up in different places, or you have to demand the right to end up in the same place, which requires necessarily different rules and standards for everybody. Yeah, and it requires the state to manage those. Like somebody has to manage those outcomes. So then you have this yeah. gigantic, overweening, paternalistic state that has to interject itself to make sure that all those outcomes that they desire um, take place. It is um, a dystopian well, hellscape that so many writers wrote about uh, in the 20th century. But this is that's the fundamental principle that we've adopted yeah. in our society. So, I mean, it it seems like an academic con- like conversation we're having and maybe people's eyes are glazing over, but like I want alarm bells to be ringing in everybody's ears till they wake up and start screaming from the rooftops because right. that's the seriousness of what's happened in our society that we have to be aware of and it just happens to play out in a classroom to a student yeah. engaging in a debate. Listen, I before I was a Christian in high school, a debate that we had in sociology class was the legitimacy of same-sex marriage. I was mm-hmm. given the opposed side, and I wasn't a mm-hmm. Christian, but I put together an argument that was so strong for the opposed side that even a gay guy that I went to high school with voted for our side of the debate. But that was an open debate that was held in schools not too long ago. Like, I'm not that old. But that was a legitimate debate that we could have in schools. And, you know, I got graded well on that debate. Now, Mm -hmm. if you do that in open discussion in schools, you're you're subject to (laughs) having a trespass notice taken out on you. It's so crazy. But that's where we're at. Right. Right. Well, let's just make this note about speech for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, so people might be apt to to have debates and conversations about, you know, whether there are two genders or not, and whether or not you can, it's possible to switch your gender after birth, and so on. And and th- these are legitimate conversations to have, as you point out. But your your free speech is not dependent upon truth. In other words, you're allowed to say what you want, whether that happens to be true or not. The test for free speech is not truth. You're allowed to say what you think, not because it's true, but because it's what you think. 
So in this kind of a debate about washrooms and pronouns and transgenderism and so on, the, the, the tendency is that people start to, 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 to argue about what, what the truth is. And fair enough, fair enough. But that doesn't define what you're allowed to say in that debate. And that's where we've gotten to with, with, with Josh in the school. He's not allowed to say what he thinks, whether it's true or not. And that's the problem. And he's being punished for it. And that's our, and that's our, that's our perspective. Our perspective is that by being excluded from the class, he's being discriminated against because of his beliefs and the espousing of his beliefs. It's that he holds these beliefs and that he has said them, that he has said them publicly. He has said them in debate in classroom. And he has said them even as he organizes a walkout, which again, five minutes ago, no one has any problem with climate walkouts or BLM <laughs> yeah. walkouts. So that that's not the problem. Because there's the no problem equality is, before law anymore. <laughs> the problem is his yeah. particular views are the unacceptable views. And now he's not allowed mm. to say them or believe them. And you're right, Bruce, that's the problem that he, because he was suspended before the walkout even happened. So he just right. talked about a walkout and they punished him a la minority report, right? It was mm-hmm. pre-crime before he even did anything, which is a whole other, we can't get into that as a whole other can of worms that is something that's a legitimate concern that if, if a school has grounds to punish you for something you haven't even done yet, but are thinking about doing it because of your beliefs, I don't imagine it's so far-fetched to say that we could find ourselves in a country where your particular beliefs and the threat of what you might do because of those beliefs can be held against you. And lest oh. anyone say, Andrew, that's terrifying. We, we don't <laughs> sure. live in that world. I'll simply retort by saying we live in a world where it's happening right now in the school where you can discriminate against the oppressor class. So like wise up to what's going on. It's oh, it, it can move in that direction. Absolutely. Oh, no question. I mean, but this, but this is the whole idea about what social credit scoring is about. I mean, you get you get social credit scoring based upon you know your attitudes towards things and whether or not they're proper, and restrictions are placed upon your your actions and your ability to uh, to, to 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 borrow money, for example, in the credit system, not based upon what you've done, but based upon you know whether or not your attitudes align with those of the authorities. I mean that that that's the whole premise of of the system that that is is essentially in effect in China now, and and is is a uh, certainly one that that uh, authorities elsewhere are reaching for. And lest anybody again say that couldn't possibly come to the shores of Canada, that's the exact same thing people thought about wide scale lockdowns. And we all know exactly how that or took the, place. Or the freezing of bank accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. To the wrong well, but to here, here's an example. I mean, I was just I was just uh, um, uh, reading uh, Andrew Lawton's uh, Twitter feed and he was mm-hmm. talking about arriving at Davos. Yeah, and how everybody's right, issued yes. a, a, an ID badge and so on, and and he just explained how uh, before you enter, you have to take a PCR test, and, and you have to pass the PCR test. And if you don't take the test and pass the test, then your ID badge is 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 decommissioned. It doesn't work. It doesn't. You can't get into things. And you know that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. You you need a badge or the equivalent to be able to function to get into this place and that mm-hmm. place to go places to buy food to do whatever you do and if you don't 
correspond to the requirements, then the badge is just turned off. It's mm-hmm. so easy technologically to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. And that's what the vaccine all, uh, ultimately is is for, right? It's a form of entryism into this new system. Uh, and, you know, and if you don't have the vaccine, we saw it implemented throughout our country and throughout countries all around the world. Well, you just can't go to that shop. You just can't do that certain thing. And that's what happens in China. You you can't buy, you can't go to this store. You can't buy that certain product unless if you watch a 15 minute propaganda video, like those, like literally those things happen and the technology exists and more and more we're seeing countries like ours get closer and closer to implementing those things. And, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not insanity. It's just the reality of what we're seeing. And it really gets to the danger of what you talked about right at the start, Bruce, is the cent- centralizing of everything, even education within the state, within state control. And I'm so thankful for you know men in the Reformed uh, Christian heritage like Abraham Kuyper, who in his stone lectures talked about the necessity of having um, – independent spheres of of authority when it comes to even education and law mm-hmm. and and science we, we the covid dystopia has uh, is largely due in part to the the regulatory capture of all science and medicine all these things um and that's that's what we need to get back to and i we need to fight this ideological battle and and push back now the, the fact of the matter is, like you've said, we might have already lost this ideological battle without not realizing we were in it. But I think we need to wake up to it as people who want to return to equality before law, a law to formal equality rather than substantive equality. We need to advocate for these principles and have these conversations that we're not supposed to have in order to talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about because that's how we really protest this this secret revolution it's not secret but it's quiet revolution that's taking place in our midst so madam I'm, I'm glad you said that because i want to i want to land the plane and i want to yeah. land the plane with a question for you bruce um to kind of <laughs> to wrap this up and 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 the question has to do with so what do we do i know that's broad but i want to focus primarily on people in our audience who are regular everyday people that work at jobs that they're homeschool moms or they're going to church or they're following social media right we we know that there are legislators or we want to help people to run to win in elections to be in positions where they can hope to make good legislation and the truth is this renfrew catholic district school board is full of a bunch of marxists and you need people to run and infiltrate in school boards to make good decisions. So we need people making changes legislatively. We also need people who are making, who are fighting in the legal grounds, right? So you need these students represented to fight so that you bring the weight of the law so that hopefully we can show that this is crazy. So those are those different levels. But for the average everyday Canadian who's consuming social media, who's not a lawyer, who's not a legislator, who's not a teacher, what can they do, whether it's ideologically or with actual skin in the game? What can we tell our audience? Here's how you can rightly engage, or here's what you should be doing in light of where this is going if it continues more and more down this path. Well, 
people collectively, and I'm afraid it is collectively, have more power than they think. So, for example, if if the parents of the teachers at Josh's school uh, en masse, or a critical number of them, basically marched into the school or the school board and said, what the hell do you think you're doing? Uh, then things would change overnight. Because even though the board might 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 be full of activist types, they're, they're not going to have the the wherewithal to resist uh, an overwhelming opinion on the part of the people they're supposed to be serving to do things a certain way. You're, you're going to, but it's going to require, it's going to require conflict. It's going to require clashes. It's going to require arguing and maybe shouting at board meetings and that kind of thing. So people have to steel themselves to, to speak up and say what they think and, and risk getting criticized and get shouting down and shout back you're going to need a confrontation, a peaceful one. You don't need violence, but you need to be able to have the courage to say what you think and to stand up and say, we're not, we're not going along with this. We're not going to pretend we like this. We're not going to do it because the, the, the social pressures are, are pushing us in this, in this direction. We recognize that it's wrong. And, uh, and I, a good place to start would be the situation with Josh, the, to, to get the adults in the room to to recognize the problem and stand up just at, in their in their very at, at a very local level in their in the context of their of their the lives that they live and the schools that their kids go to to say no no you're wrong we're not we're not doing it this way yeah and i think that's that's an absolute necessity of those who are concerned about where we're going in society is to get active, to get involved and to do it peacefully. Nonviolent confrontation is extraordinarily powerful. And that's what we're calling for. We're calling for people to advocate for their positions, to steal their spine, as you said, and to speak up and push back against this. Because if we don't, the outcome of all this, like we're just starting to see this flood kind of take some effect in our culture and everything. Like we're, it, it's not going to stop. This is going to oh, get no. worse and worse oh, and yeah. worse and worse. And sure. it's going to like, if you actually want to love your neighbor as yourself, if you actually want to care for the children in your community, it requires us to take courage, to have courage, and to risk being unpopular for taking a stance and speaking out. And I think, sadly, maybe that's a part of the Canadian ethos that we have to throw off is we just want to be nice people being nice to the nice and we don't actually want to stand on principle. That is not that is not a set of values that are, abs are at all virtuous. And though it might be our identity, we have to throw it off because those are shackles rather than being something we should take pride in. And, you know, for Christians, what we're talking about with substantive versus formal e e equality is we're talking about sinful partiality, whether or not that's going to be an appropriate thing to have in our culture or it's not. Substantive equality requires 
sinful partiality to be the norm in society. So if you want to bring God's wrath upon a culture, do injustice constantly and promote it and celebrate it. So from the Christian perspective, that's what you're calling God to do if you go along with this scheme. And I, I just would hope that, you know, Christians would understand the the severity of the situation we're talking about and speak up. And Bruce, I, I'm so thankful for your voice in this conversation as well. And so, so much of your knowledge. And, and like I said, those sharp distinctions that you can bring to, to clarify these conversations, not only for us, but, but our audience. So we love having you on. We could talk for ever in a day all the time we might have to uh get you your own show or something because uh <laughs> it's it's seriously great hearing from you oh it's always great to be with you guys it's always a pleasure to talk to you so thank you very much for having me yeah and bruce thank you for that very very practical if you live in and around renfrew county and you want to do something about this whether or not you agree with josh's position on the transgender bathroom but you clearly disagree with the school's position that his speech should be punished and silenced, then you can reach out to us, mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com, and we can help you. We can help figure out what to do, what's appropriate, what a legal right pushback would be against this to put pressure on the school board. And I mean, Bruce, that's, that's a great idea. So yeah, thanks again for joining us. It's been great. Thanks, guys. God bless, brother. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.